Uh, Most Saturdays during winter, I coach a junior AFL footy team. You can find us on one of the parks, uh, uh, fields spread out from Amaru to somewhere down near Cooma. Um, 8.30 on Saturday mornings, getting the troops together. Uh, breaking the ice off the field to, uh, to run around. We, we, we train on Wednesday afternoons. We uh, prepare for the games. We set up the fields each week. We, we learn a new skill, whether it's how to kick or how to mark or how to tackle. Or if you heard some of Sam's stories yesterday about uh, watching his boys uh, play AFL, it's at least to face in the right direction and to uh, attack the ball more than you swing off the goalposts. Um, Well, my team's a little bit older and a little bit beyond that, but we we work hard each week, encouraging uh, team play from each period of play. We'll work out a little bit of a a strategy to try and help our game go well. Now, at this level of junior footy, we don't keep score. The kids always do. They know exactly what the score is. We don't keep track of the score, and we've been improving every week But I can't say with any confidence yet that we have been the best team on the field on the day. Uh, There's one of the kids, uh, one of the young uh, kids on my team who's come from a rugby league background. He looks like a rugby league player. He runs like a rugby league player. He kicks like a rugby league player. He passes like a rugby league player. He's a wonderful, wonderful kid. Every week after the game, he'll come up and he'll shake my hand and he'll go, thank you, Mr. Smith, for coaching me today. Last week, he paused at the end of it. And he looked at me and said, do you think we might get a win next week? (laughs) We like to win, don't we? Whether it's on the footy field, whether it's school, in the classroom, or on the handball court, if it's in a test or it's in a competition, if it's part of our hobby, whether it's in backyard cricket, whether it's on the road going somewhere or in our job, we want to be going forward. We want to be making progress. We want to have a win in life. And now yesterday at our big day out, um, we had some workshops on sharing Jesus with our friends. I have been to lots of workshops on sharing Jesus with friends. And I have to say, this is one of the best workshops that I have ever been to. And so far, hearing from uh, lots of you, you found a very positive about it. Really glad that people had uh, a positive day and particularly in learning from Sam. I particularly appreciated from Sam... Uh, the emphasis that he puts on relationships and doing evangelism in community. It's all part of helping us live out that unmissable promise and command in the book of Acts to be bearing witness to Jesus from Jerusalem to all Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It was inspiring stuff that we got yesterday and if, if you weren't there, we recorded it. Uh, We'll be able to make that available in a little while. Uh, Be sure to look it up. But as the days and the weeks and the months go on, what if we don't get a win? You know, we're thrust back into the reality of Monday morning. Family members seem just as hard to Jesus as ever. Our words seem to fall on deaf ears. Our loving actions are misunderstood. And and we don't get those coffee and dinner plans going that we hoped to. We want to turn to the coach and say, do you think we might get a win next week? 
Why keep going? Why persist in making friends with unbelievers and becoming their friends? Why keep going to their things? Why do coffee and dinner? Why listen to their story again and again? Why be sharing our story? Why keep going? Acts chapters 21 to 23 fuels our motivation to keep going. This is Paul's story in this part of Acts. And many, many times he might have been asking the question, why keep going? Coach, do you think we'll get a win next week? We're going to go through these three chapters and see some of the situations that Paul was in where he might have been going, why keep going? In chapter 21, we see that Paul is determined to return to Jerusalem. A couple of weeks ago, we've been seeing that Paul is travelling right out around um, um, the Mediterranean, taking the gospel message about Jesus to all kinds of different places, and now he's determined to return to Jerusalem. The believers who are with him are urging him not to go. They're warning him. See in verse 4, chapter 21, verse 4? Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Why not? Down in verse 11, halfway through, there's a prophet who says, The Holy Spirit says in this way, The Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, Paul, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Verse 12, When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. But Paul's determined to go. This is what he says, verse 13. Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul is determined to go to Jerusalem, but his life is going to be threatened. In verse 17, when Paul arrives in Jerusalem, there's a fairly positive reception. But that's quickly taken over by rumour and misunderstanding. Verse 21 about the law of Moses and what Paul was teaching the Gentiles. And Paul might have been thinking, wasn't this settled back in the council of Jerusalem that we read about back in Acts chapter 15? But that misunderstanding and rumour escalates and things really turn against Paul. Down in verse 27, a riot breaks out. They seize Paul, they drag him, verse 30, and they try to kill him, Verse 31, that's amongst the Jewish uh, citizens, the Romans who are in power there, they try to break up the crowd, they try to break up the chaos, the riot, and they go in and they arrest Paul, verse 33, chapter 21. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was. And what he has done. He's been bound and now the commander is trying to make sense. What's actually going on here? What's going on with Paul that things are so being stirred up? Well, as things continue, Paul gets a chance to explain himself. While he speaks quite eloquently and and, and truthfully and pointing to who Jesus is and how Paul has no other conviction but to speak about Jesus... 
riot number two breaks out, verses 22 and 23 in chapter 22. Oh, two, 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 two. Chapter 22, verses 22 and 23, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken back into the barracks and to be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting him like this. This other riot breaks out and, and Paul's going to be flogged for it until the Roman commander actually then discovers that Paul himself is a Roman citizen and so he's not flogged. Paul at this point is being passed back and forth between the Jewish Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, the, the Jewish religious leaders who are out to get him and the Romans who actually have the power to keep him under arrest and free from the riot in the crowd and he's kind of going backwards and forwards trying to make sense of what is going on. Well, as that all's going on, in chapter 23, a third riot breaks out verse 9 chapter 23 verse 9 there was a great uproar some of the teachers of the law who were pharisees stood up and argued vigorously we find nothing wrong with this man they said what if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him but the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid paul would be torn to pieces by them he ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. Paul's taken into the Roman barracks, under Roman arrest, under Roman guards, seemingly safe there, though under arrest. But the Jews have a plot to ambush Paul and to ambush the Roman soldiers and kill Paul. So verse 12, chapter 23, verse 12, the next morning the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Some others got wind of this and passed it on uh, to, the, to, the, um, uh, to the Roman commander. Uh, verse 21 we read, uh, don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush uh, for Paul. They've taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to, uh, your consent to their request. And the commander dismissed the young man, cautioned him, don't tell anyone that you have reported this, me, this, reported this to me. And then the commander averts the ambush. Uh, in verse 23 by sending Paul across to the coast at Caesarea. But see how many soldiers he sent with him to guard Paul? 470 guards. Paul is a wanted man. Those who hate Paul, those who want to stop the gospel mission, will do anything to ambush him and kill, capture him and kill him. And so at the end of the chapter, verse 35, Paul is in, transferred to Caesarea and he's under Roman guard in Herod's palace. Do you think this is what Paul had in mind 
when his life was turned around by Jesus, when he had that encounter on the Damascus Road, when Saul became Paul, when he became the missionary to the Gentiles, when he was sent out on Jesus' mission to the ends of the earth, Paul probably didn't expect that it was all going to be smooth sailing. Jesus promised he'd suffer. But this, this is hectic. There would have been every reason for Paul to say, I've run out of fuel, I've got nothing left. This mission mobile, I'm parking it. Why keep going? Along the way there in chapter 23, there's a short word from Jesus. Chapter 23, verse 11. 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Paul has given this promise and assurance that God is surely working out his good plans and purposes of salvation in the world to the ends of the earth. Even though things will get even more uncertain for Paul, God will get the win. What will keep you going in Jesus' mission? as we're thrust back into the reality of Monday tomorrow, as again we are reminded of our family member who seems as hard as ever to turning to Jesus. Our words fall on deaf ears, our loving actions are misunderstood. In the busyness and the stress of life, we don't get to those dinner and coffee plans that we'd hoped to have. On Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, we want to turn to the coach and go, do you think we might get a win next week? What will keep you going? It's helpful for us to connect some dots today between Acts and Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul had not yet visited Rome at this stage in Acts, and Paul's letter to the Romans was written a year or two before these events that we are reading about in the book of Acts. And as we look across into Paul's letter to the Romans, it helps us to see Paul's underlying motivation of what keeps him going when things are tough, what keeps him going when it looks like he's not going to get a win. You see, God doesn't merely stand on the boundary line of his mission. No disciple of Jesus is ever left alone. Every believer has God working with us and in us and working through us. So you please turn to Romans 8, where we see Paul uh, talking about this very thing. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans chapter Romans as a whole sometimes can we can have the impression that it's uh, high level theological thinking from Paul, but chapter eight 
particularly if you cast your eyes over the first half of it. Paul was reflecting on his problem and struggle with sin and the great suffering that goes on round about him in the world. Where are you, God? What are you doing? Very real kind of questions that we ask. This is the kind of stuff that Paul was writing, remembering, reflecting on, sharing as he's going through these tough times in the book of Acts. And so I'm going to read for us from verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This is Paul's motivation to keep going. Verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I coach my AFL team on Saturdays, there is absolutely nothing that I can do to guarantee a win. There's almost nothing that the coach contributes to the game. The coach has the, has the least impact on the game. The coach is the only player, that it, the only person in the team that's restricted to the boundary line. All that I can do is give a few words of encouragement As much as I would want to, I can't run onto the field when there's a contest right in front of me and smash a nine-year-old girl to get the ball off her, to take a run through the midfield, take a bounce to go across into the forward zone and launch onto a 50-metre bomb and kick the glory goal that we might win. I'm probably not capable of it anyway. I can't do that. There's nothing I can do to guarantee a win. But God 
doesn't stand on the boundary of his mission. We're not left on the field to a smashing defeat by the opposition. We don't trudge off the field each week hoping that maybe next week we might find a win, that we might tap into that surprising strategy or draft that premiership player who's going to get us across the line. We're not hoping that the captain might come up with a remarkable set play or a hero performance. But God assures the win. His gospel message about Jesus will steadily move to the ends of the earth just as he promised. Now, if I was in Paul's situation, I would want this promise and assurance in my ears to be absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, anything that you can possibly think of that might stop God from getting his win. Nothing. I would want that promise and assurance in my ears. This is what keeps Paul going through the threat of death. In the midst of misunderstanding and rumour, this keeps Paul going through the riots, through the beatings, through the opposition, through being arrested for breaking no law. This promise and assurance is what keeps brothers and sisters going day by day around the world who are being persecuted for their faith and testimony. This is the promise and assurance that keeps faithful disciples going when they don't see a win. So when the young fella on my footy team asks, Mr. Smith, do you think we might get a win next week? I can't give him any promise or assurance of a win. Have you ever asked God that question? Maybe you are low on fuel for Jesus' mission. Are you weary? Have you been inspired by Sam's workshops yesterday but know that reality of Monday that life is tough? When am I possibly going to fit in making more time for more friends and doing those coffee dinner gospel talks? Sam shared with us yesterday that he was going to help us understand the human part of Jesus' mission. And that there's a God part to Jesus' mission that he only just touched on to. And this morning what we're doing, what we're seeing in God's word, what we're seeing in Acts, what we're seeing in Romans is the God part of Jesus' gospel mission. It's hard going. Yet it's worth it. It's worth being equipped for Jesus' mission. It's worth being ready for making Jesus known. I encourage you to grab hold of the recordings from the workshops yesterday. It's worth being mobilised in gospel mission. It's worth being refuelled for it. It's worth praying for the gospel going to the ends of the earth. It's worth giving financially. It's worth being in the game. Keep going. Because God is with us, God is working in us, 
God is steadily working out his good plans of salvation from here to the ends of the earth. God will get his win. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we can say with Paul, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's keep going. 